and welcome back to Shadow Light. Thank you so much for joining us as we navigate the big issues on your feed, moving from apathy and overwhelm to collective action and hopeful pathways forward. I'm Zoe. And I'm Larissa, and I'm so excited that this week we're getting into it around the global women's strike, and specifically around paid labour in the home and the concept of that. Shout out to the Wages for Health work campaign and all of that. So, yeah, I mean... I think we've just been saying like the research this week has felt a little bit different. Um, but before we get into it, how are you doing? I'm good. I don't know if anyone remembers, but a few episodes ago, I told everyone I was going on a voucher holiday. I've now mm-hmm. been on the voucher holiday and I was in Italy and it feels very like, what's the word, in alignment with this week's episode because it's all kind of kicked off with the way to housework movement started with a bunch of Italian feminists. So as I was doing the research, I was like, mm, feeling very aligned. Been in Italy this week. I've been eating my pizza and my pasta, so I'm ready to go. Look at um, that timing. I love that. You know that. what I mean? It's in alignment. <laughs> How are you, babes? I know you're attending four conferences this month did you just say Look, it's not even like I don't even know how this has happened I thought like March April yeah like keep it ticking along and then suddenly the calendar just went <laughs> um so yeah a little bit on edge but I'm good what's business woman speaking of being a busy woman um I'm trying to segue does that segue into <laughs> That's the- a hilarious segue Speaking of busy, being a busy woman, we need to get paid. We need to get paid. Um, So this week we're talking about the Wages for Housework movement. Well, we're talking about the global women's strike, but that all kind of kicked off in the 1970s with the the Wages for Housework movement. In 2022, it was the 50-year anniversary, I believe, of the start of this movement, which started in... In Italy, it was launched by the International Feminist Collective in 1972, of which Silvia Federici, who we were chatting about last week in relation to how we describe home, how we understand home in in relation to Gypsy, Roma and Traveller communities. She was one of the kind of initial feminists that kind of came up with this idea and popularised it. But the idea, the Wages for Housework movement, it was an internationalist, anti-capitalist feminist movement that basically wanted to recognise how women's essential domestic work goes unrecognised, is undervalued and is never um, remunerated, but is absolutely essential for the functioning of the economy, basically. And so it was kind of united by the idea that caring labour, so kind of any kind of domestic labour within the home, was largely done by women. Um, And this was not because women are like biologically, you know, predisposed to being good at housework, nor are these acts of love nor these should this work be understood as like you do it for free because you love people. It's actually just under capitalism is work that the economy needs to function and therefore should receive a wage. Yeah. Is there anything else you kind of add to that, Larissa? Yeah, just there on what you were saying about it being necessary and not this like, oh, happy go lucky, given for, for fun. As reading this piece by actually Amelia Horgan, um, not me fangirling my friend, that's weird. Um, <laughs> if Amelia, if you're listening to this, then just pretend I didn't say nice things about you. But, um, but yeah, like I, I thought it was really interesting that I was also talking about how through conceptualising this work as like a, through a political lens and uh, giving it the the sense of like wages for housework, it's also talking about in the first instance, like, how do you then legally define um, people's rights? Because when you're talking about work, you're also talking about labour rights. And then kind of secondarily to that, like, you've got this rich history of labour movements and that kind of radical political theory that grounds labour movements. So it's almost drawing housework into that sphere, politicising the role that 
historically women um, and feminized people and the care work that they do and are expected to do plays in our society. Um, so yeah, that was really interesting. It's a piece on kind of creeping and ameliorative accounts of work by Amelia Horgan, if I even pronounce that right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'll be in the in the description. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And it's like, these feminists in the 1970s were kind of responding to two things, right? They were responding to the fact of like, that, you know, there were women being laden with a lot of like domestic work, but also to the fact that like, conservative husbands weren't listening to them, but neither were the left. Like lots mm. of these women had been organizing in spaces of like labor unions and like with leftist men and they were all being like but wait we're not talking about women's work at all it's completely absent from the discourse and so this idea of like demanding a wage meant kind of um i've got a quote here from a navarro medium article demanding a wage meant not only negotiating as an individual one's personal sphere of freedom but also destroying the idea that housework was an integral part of the nature of women so it was like doing all of these different things at once in both kind of conservative spaces but also in in leftist spaces which had been ignoring women and this idea, it was like looking at domestic work, which had been naturalized as female. So this idea that like, this is just what women do. <laughs> it's innately what women do. And also destroying the idea that it's essentialized as love, basically being mm. like, this is how women show love is that they hoover. And it's like, mm. Mm, all of this needs to be destroyed in order to mm. understand domestic work as work. And I, you know what? I like knew a little bit about the wages for housework stuff but as I was reading this I was like oh there is a lot of stuff in here that like I'm finding really confronting in the sense of things that you just think of like you know this is how you care for your family this is how you like um you know look after the people that you love and it's like but why is that why like why is who like hoovering like dusting mm. like that act of love like mm, it is it it's really bound up in how we understand the home and looking after and caring for each other so I think it's like got some still such like relevancy today I think is, is definitely is and I feel like that is the question is can we still apply this and one of the pieces I was reading I really can't find where it is right now but was talking about like how some interpretations of the wages for housework campaign were really literal in that sense mm. of you know we want wages for housework full stop other readings of it were this is almost a provocative tool that is getting us to talk about those dynamics within the home who is doing this work and why uh, and why do we see it as not valuable and how does that contribute to time poverty for women and all of that stuff is particularly you know as at the time that this movement was growing obviously more and more women were in paid labor in the workplace in the formalized workplace so yeah I thought that was really interesting um this concept was like our time as a as a resource and the politicization of how that time is being used and what that's be how that's being received by the people that are benefiting from that time poverty. I was reading about this as well, like the literal interpretations of people being like, well, we could never wage all domestic work. And I was reading Claire English, who who I think was involved in the original campaign. So like this idea kind of is still radical in 2024 because unpaid labor is not accounted for in any country's GDP um, and not largely respected I would say as real work in a sense it's estimated that like unpaid domestic labor is around like 10 trillion if you could try and like put a number on it, it's around worth around 10 trillion globally annually so which is like numbers of I don't even like we can't even understand that's a trillion like what even is a trillion but like was it is it the goal to like incorporate unpaid labor within a GDP maybe not and clear English says the campaign was successful in many ways because it was reminding people that women's labour is worth more than capitalism could ever pay. 
And it's a wrench to open up our eyes to how completely unsustainable society is when it relies on the endless capacity of women. So the fact that it's impossible under neoliberal capitalism to pay women for their work in the home just lays bare why we're making the demand in the first place. So mm. it's again, it's almost like that idea. It's almost like seeing women as kind of like, again, I don't want to dehumanize women, but how capitalism sees, you know, the earth, but also women's labor as a, as a, an unending resource that can be exploited in order to keep the functioning, the economy functioning, which just like isn't true and is so deeply unfair. So I think that's like a really interesting kind of like legacy of the campaign and what it was trying to do is like less, as you say, being so literal, but more about like exposing some of the like fundamental flawed logics of capitalism. And also the the nuclear family as it kind of upholds that those logics and like I was reading this piece around um, wages for housework means wages against heterosexuality. And it was really interesting because it was talking about like the household as this central unit of capitalism's social reproduction. And okay, if you actually removed housework from that and the, the kind of gendered housework that uh, women tend to do from that, it would just fall apart. And so it's it's not even just capitalism it's like heteronormative capitalism and how that kind of all fits together as how those all fit together as systems and yeah there was this quote from Federici where she said we fought for wages for housework not for housewives and almost politicizing that identification as well which I thought was interesting but yeah so it was bringing together those kind of sites where capitalism patriarchy meet to kind of yield a kind of alternative or present that there should be an alternative to how sexuality and social reproduction are kind of formed interconnectedly is that a word I don't know I've said it now yeah no totally and like so this idea of social reproduction is kind of all of this stuff that w women do the, the domestic work that keeps kind of all of this this functioning specifically talking about like how women are the keep the cogs of capitalists turning through like birth so like the birth of new workers that keep people alive and well enough to kind of work um so like having sex and like feeding and like rearing children is like all work so there's this quote from a pamphlet from the from the wages for housework movement which is when they need more workers women are forbidden any form of contraception when the workers we produce are not dis disciplined enough or when we claim some money for the cost of raising them that is when we are not disciplined enough they sterilize us and so then we start to really like see what wages for housework did really well in a way was like build solidarity of all sorts of movements so we start to see the kind of fight for reproductive rights coming under this kind of wages for housework step movement and like with this came a real legacy of like working with groups that sometimes the traditional feminist movement hadn't like worked with before or like mm. different factions of the, the feminist movement hadn't worked together before so for instance like one of the big legacies of wages for housework was building real solidarity with sex workers and sex worker movements so it bring, brought together campaigns for women's shelters sex workers rights lesbian liberation free childcare, reproductive autonomy sexual freedom affordable housing and public transport provision and it was in the mid-70s like sex workers set up their own autonomous group within um, the Wages for Housework movement called the English Collective of Prostitutes, which was founded by two immigrant sex workers in 1975 and still organises with that name until this day. And they were kind of situa oh, situating their work like within and under this, which was amazing. And so like a real legacy of the Wages for Housework movement is kind of like 
working to undo this binary of like good versus bad feminists or whatever that is and being mm. like no we're all together because all of this kind of domestic labor if you really broaden out that definition we all have to do which is like a great legacy I think it's actually an amazing model of how do you bring together different groups to organize under a collective banner but like bring in so many different issues because as well as that incredible work in terms of you know, solidarity with sex workers. I was reading about some of the other kind of ways in which the international women's strike, which obviously it became this like annual way of women moving themselves from the housework space and saying like, look what happens when we don't do this work. But the ways that that women's strike didn't just become about wages for housework, you know, in 1961, the women's strike for peace, there was 50,000 women on strike against nuclear weapons. Uh, In 1970, uh, the women's strike for equality in New York, they were demanding universal access to abortion, to free childcare, to equality of opportunity in the workplace. And then, like what you were saying about sex being work, like sex strikes took place in Colombia in 1997, in Liberia in 2003, in Kenya in 2009, the Philippines 2011, Togo 2012, the list goes on. Like people have, women specifically, and we're not even going to say people, run it back. Women have been standing against armed and gang violence and corruption all of these things that might not be situated within kind of traditional feminist thought back in the day as kind of women's issues quote unquote but utilizing their role as women within society and the withdrawal of their work as women whether that is their work through sex their work through housework um, however that kind of manifests but withdrawing their work withdrawing their labor as a form of speaking about the issues that they care about whatever they are and I just thought that was so deeply interesting um, that it's almost become a a mode rather than like a issue and it's just the whole thing of like we don't live single issue lives so we have to we have to organize across these multiple fronts. So interesting and like I feel like This is such like pioneering and interesting movement building because it's like, again, it's also relevant to this day because I think, you know, some people would find it really uncomfortable, even, you know, like leftist women to like consider the, you know, intimate relationships you have with a partner, like the sex that you have as work. And so it's really actually, I think, challenging a very innate, like socialized misogyny that we all feel like it's it, it really provides a new lens to start thinking about yourself like your own home your own relationships and like in solidarity with with like other feminists and other women across the world so I think it's like I, f- I found this really like challenging and really like exciting and interesting way just in like a personal lens and like I was thinking about how relevant it is still to this day when we we're seeing like a couple of trends at the moment like one is this weird resurgence of like trad wife popularity online Mm. these like mormon influencers they're like which i think is kind of a reaction to like everything's being being so terrible at the moment like there is a craving i think for lots of people to return to some form of simplicity and so when you see these kind of like mormon trad wife influencers being like i have a simple life like baking bread and caring for my children like living on a farm and like it's all through this instagram filter and you're like oh my god wow that looks so peaceful and loving and like i just get to like care for my family like I can totally see the appeal of like this kind of beautiful filter of what a domestic life is. But you ask any like mother, you ask any nanny, like caring for kids is hard work. Even if you, even if they're your own kids, you love them so damn much. It's a hardship. Like all my friends who are nannies, it's like, it is, it is hard work. And so there's this idea where we're glamorizing that like trad wife thing again through this Instagram filter. 
But we're also seeing, like, in reaction to that is also this, like, girl boss feminism. We've got these two kind of things, like the girl boss feminism, which is like, being a housewife is wrong. Like, the way that we solve our liberation is by being a CEO, yada, yada, yada. Like, our liberation depends on us kind of leaving the house to become CEOs and then maybe hiring other women to do our domestic paying up other women to do our domestic Heavy on that work. one. Heavy do you know on what I mean? One. The white yeah. feminism CEO, CEO of it all. So you've got these kind of like two emerging trends, which I think probably are in reaction to just a world a, a bit in disarray, feminism not really knowing where it is at the moment, like people craving something more radical, a real systems change and kind of being fed these two kind of things which aren't really satiating that deeper need for like a societal change. And the Wages for Housework movement is still so relevant to this day because it responds to both of them. It says, look, like we are not so different. Even women who are in Mrs. CEO, she's still expected to come home and return to being a domestic worker. And if she isn't, she better hire someone who will. So both wage and unwaged women are both still fighting for recognition and fighting against this like naturalized idea, like this idea that domestic work is naturalized as women's work. It's a unifying force. Both are work, neither are innately women's work, neither will exclusively bring us liberation and both deserve to be acknowledged as work and to be adequately compensated mm. for. So there's this quote from a piece that I was reading which was like, rather than solving patriarchy by slotting more women into higher paid roles outside of the home, inevitably leaving most women to continue unpaid or low-wage work, the campaign insisted that the work women were already doing must be recognised, respected and recompensated. Um, it's a mechanism by which to render feminised work visible so that it could be effectively struggled against in order to ultimately build a feminist future in which such caring labour would be collectivised. And it's still relevant to all, it is just still relevant to all of us, whether you are like business bitch or you're like, I'm a beautiful living on a farm, la, la, la. Like, we're all part of this fight. And that's what they, like, they articulated that so well. And I think, like, what you're saying there about collectivising it is so important because this campaign was collectivising something that we are taught from so early on that is the private sphere, like, that belongs to the private sphere. It's, like, the nuclear family, the dynamics of power within your home oh that's that's a you problem like you deal with that behind closed doors don't bother anyone else about it and so for this campaign to be like, actually this is a structural issue that we are going to deal with collectively is so so important um and just to also come back to what you were saying what you were saying on housewives and tradwives um, and that trend. I watched a TikTok recently that I was talking about how that is the performance of the leisure class. And I thought it was so, mm. so interesting because what you said about she's paying someone to... she Anyone performing that level of... Because I was watching this woman make cereal from scratch. Cereal. What, why was I watching it? I don't know. I don't know. Don't ask me. Because I was watching the stitch, but I went to watch the whole full video anyway. Because I was like, this, this is so deeply interesting. It's interesting, but there's also something, and I hate to say that it's something like cottage core soothing about it. You're like watching this woman in a linen dress, like bake her daily wares, and you're like, wow, like but that looks so beautiful. It's, it's literally engineered to be that. Like it is mm. soothing. But she's for any woman who is actually doing that labor of childcare, of hoovering, of cleaning, of ironing of gardening list the, the whole the whole damn list any woman who is doing all of that does not have time to be making cereal from scratch so the fact that this woman is performing and filming herself in this fancy lovely nightwear making cereal from scratch it is a performance of her class like she is literally positioning herself saying 
I have the money to pay someone to do all of the work that you little people have to do so that I can stand here and perform making cereal for you. Wild. Because we I don't know, I've seen a lot of reactions being like, oh, I'd love to be a housewife. This is such a vibe. Da, da, da. That is not, that's not what you're going to get, babe. Like, I'm sorry to break it to you. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But like you being in the home and doing that work, that's not what you're going to get. That's not the life you're about to get unless you are in that leisure class. That's not even like, it's so true. And it's like, it's, it, it's, first of all, it's like this performance of such a traditional idea of femininity that is a bit scary. <laughs> like, I'm like, go off if you want to bake your bread. Like, I'd like to bake some bread. Like, but why do we have to be doing it in like with a full, full face linen dress? Like, it's all a bit too much. Like, and you've got like nine children running around. Like, ooh. And so, um, shout out Binge Topia. It's one of my favorite podcasts. They always talk about this, this influencer called Ballerina Farm, who's got nine million followers, who does this mm-hmm. whole thing where she's like beautiful. She has eight children. And she makes all these like really aesthetic farm, like I'm baking bread, I'm collecting eggs from the da-da-da. She's like an ex-Juilliard ballerina, so she's so beautiful, so graceful. And it's like, she comes from like unbelievably wealthy Mormon family that are like millionaires. And her husband is super, it's like you can only afford this aesthetic to sell this aesthetic back to people. If you're like so rich, so it's just like such an unrealistic and again, it, it, she, it's also her work because she it's, she's an Instagram influencer. Yeah. She's influencing yeah. around like domestic, like she's also making money off it in a way she actually has got wages for her housework through oh. the algorithm. Do you know what I mean? And we're there consuming. We're essentially enabling people to profit from the performance of housework. So we ultimately are the people enabling them getting the wages for housework. Meanwhile, mm. women who actually should be getting paid for their housework, for doing actual, actual housework, not like mm. the performance of housework or not. Wild. She'll have, she'll have cleaners. She'll have cleaners that she will oh, not be paying the same wage that she's getting. Do you know what I mean? Bad. Like there is no, phys- there is not enough hours in the day to be baking bread from scratch, making cereal from scratch, making this from scratch, that from scratch, the other from scratch. And then you're going to scrub the toilets. You're not, babe, you're not. I, I know you're not. What? Let's not pretend. Not in that nuclear family unit anyway. Not when it's no. literally just you and eight kids and no support. Like maybe if it was like, you know, my family, like da 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 But if it's just you and eight kids, like, babe. not happening. That's a school. That's a school day. Like it's, it's, yeah. It's, but it's just all of this stuff is just still so relevant, which is kind of mm. sad in a way. But also it's great that we have this legacy of feminist organizing to look to for guidance, I think, in in times like this. Yeah, I was getting a lot of, like, inspiration from the work that's gone on uh, in Trinidad and Tobago, specifically, Mm. like, the legacy of Clotilde Walcott, who, you know, won the first legislation in the world that counted women's unremunerated work in the national accounts in Trinidad and Tobago, and that was back in 1995. And I was just just reading about her life because I was like, Wow, this this woman is just fighting for this for her whole life and like really committed to this wages for housework concept because it was so politicizing for women of the working class, specifically in the Caribbean, um, for her context. And then I got on to reading about how she set up um something that she called Nude because she thought the acronym would be difficult to forget. So she called it Nude. It's the National Union of Domestic Employees in Trinidad and Tobago. And even though she has passed, like her daughter Ida LeBlanc is now the general secretary and continuing on that work but essentially it was one of the first unions of its kind in the Caribbean in the global south 
and just so intertwined with all the other movements happening not only in the Caribbean physically but in the diaspora as well so I was reading up about the links that they had with Black Caribbean students in Montreal who were protesting against racism at universities over there and then reading about how they were connecting with student uprisings in other places and then um, the Black Power movement and so on and just seeing how politicizing women's work actually spawns a whole load of other connections with other campaigns um, that creates a, a kind of coalescing of, of resistance. Because if you're able to politicize that many people to get them to see themselves as doing labor that has been forcibly, structurally unrecognized through this system, you start to analyze all these other systems, right? And so like I was just reading about that journey that she went on in politicizing women but also using that to I guess bring them into other really important movements that were anti-colonial that were fighting racism and and so on and so forth so yeah I just thought that was a really powerful just like to see her journey and one of the quotes from her daughter um Ida LeBlanc I thought was so interesting she said slavery isn't done you understand it's in the household bam I when I was reading that I had to sit back I said what the ras it's true, unpaid unpaid labour, and specifically in the Caribbean context, like, to codify it in that way, I just thought was so powerful. Yeah, I, I think I've reading up on some of that, like, looking at, I think, yeah, from from the groups of, like, racialized women that were organising within Wages for Housework and how they were making these, like, really tangible links to how domestic work can act as, like, functional enslavement in the modern era. It's just, like, so interesting and there's a, actually a, a silver a Sylvia Federici quote that I was looking at, which was like talking about like why they were using like wages for housework and being like the wage perspective made me understand that capitalism is a production system that depends structurally on non-contractual and unpaid work in all its forms, and a system that devalues the reproduction of labor power. So capitalism must continually create classes of workers with no rights who have the task of reproducing labor power at a low cost. This is why capitalism historically is essentially structurally sexist and racist system and always will be. Sexism, racism are not moral problems. They are ideological and practical systems that serve to justify and conceal unwaged work regimes. And so I think that's just so interesting. It's like they need the sexism and the racism in order to conceal basically that this work this unpaid work is work and I feel like that really links back to all of the organizing that, that, that those groups are doing and trying to like make these systems of exploitation more visible or something and I feel like we still maybe like don't see that and popular understands when we, we talk about critiques of capitalism it's like we really need to be kind of making these intersectional analyses more visible mm. um because it sounds really controversial to say something like that like what they were saying about being like you know enslavement can, can like continues like in the domestic sphere but it's really not when you look at the analysis that they have done and the work that they have done like completely agree and like how do we I don't know I almost feel like we need to give like a a fresh generational perspective on like this wages for housework stuff like how do we now, especially when so many people are, whether it's like freelancing or in creative industries or not in jobs that are historically predisposed to labour rights movements, like how do we then recognise, OK, now you're going to face a doubly likely exploitation of your labour? Because 
you don't have a really clear like union backing in terms of like a labor union because a lot of people find themselves like floating between or they're part of a union but because a lot of people at their workplace aren't or because they're freelancing or whatever it is they're finding it hard to like actually resist in a collective way this is such a clear way where like okay women are not in the same household they're not in the same job they're not in the same workplace but have still managed to collectivize across those different contexts and I think we almost need to draw that out for the kind of current state of play. Yeah, I think another way of like also bringing it kind of into the like a newer era, because like, you know, so many of the lessons remain the same, so many of the conditions have changed. But like as part of the Shadows bookshelf last year, we read a book called, um, they call it Love, The Politics of Emotional Reproduction, or The Politics of an Emotional Life by Alva Gottby, which kind of takes this idea of like social reproduction that we're just for housework kind of popularized, but also talks about emotional reproduction. So all the unseen everyday work that goes into reproducing the labor force so that everyone is happy, content and healthy enough to continue participating as workers in the capitalist system. So like, whereas, you know, wages for housework really recognize things like pregnancy, household chores, caring for the sick. Emotional reproduction is this emotional work of creating a good feeling that occupies our entire lives. And so this kind of invisible and thankless work, which is, again, essential to the functioning of a capitalist economy. It doesn't work if people don't feel well enough to go to work. And again, it's that thing of feeling, I remember reading this book and feeling a little bit uncomfortable because I was like, but I love having good vibes in the office, but I love having good vibes with my friends. That's not work. That's not me making capitalism function. But it's like, well, yeah, if you're going into the office and you see this so often, it's speaking of my friends at the moment, like a lot of them have these like male bosses who do really do not mind being like a dickhead. And so to keep the workplace functioning, like there's all this unseen emotional work between like people who are lower down in the food chain between women to keep people happy and to keep people functioning that like other people don't see is that like part of their job whatsoever. Mm. So that's like invisibilized form of labor. It's just like a tangible example. And often again, it's, it's women because we're seen as like innately more emotional, innately more in touch with our feelings, which is totally socialized. But again, it's like more um, this emotional burden on top of that social burden as well. And again, the gendering of this work makes it hidden. Like how often are we like, oh, you know, men are just bad at having these conversations with each other. Men are just bad at like that. It's like these are only gendered because of the way that we're raised as women and men and the way that society sees women and men. And so like there are all these kind of new lenses that are helping us kind of broaden out this idea of like what work looks like with some really interesting ideas of how like we start to understand like care and the nuclear family and did it start to unpick all of these things to ensure that this work is better redistributed more fairly across society basically and how that is essential for the world to keep functioning i really love that the kind of analysis around what the role that women play in kind of facilitating the workplace because you always see those like tiktoks or whatever about like oh the personality hire and it's like okay but without so the personality hire all of you would hate each other. None of you would talk like none of you. Do you know what I mean? Like, and people often call these things like soft skills or whatever. And I'm like, how is it like, why are you acting as if this isn't like absolutely core to all of this just existing um, and functioning? Like, so yeah, I really love that. True. It's like the soft skills of it all, the like personality hire of it all being like, yeah, well, that personality hire is keeping your retention rate like keeping yourself saying like otherwise you're just going to be spending so much time like on you know recruiting and training new people and it reminds me of how you know we, people talk about like certain forms of labor as low-skilled labor which actually like mm. it, nobody like you couldn't like you couldn't 
do it. It's highly skilled labor, but because of how we see kind of like migrant labor, for example, it's seen as low skills. The same thing as soft skills. These are inherently like feminine traits about coming into the office and like making people have a good time and like chatting and being receptive and da, 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 all the stuff that kind of is like what HR is supposed to do. But women kind of step up. Lots of people actually step into that role to try and like make people have a nice time because they don't want work to be awful. And like no one's saying like, go into work and be really grumpy because that's resisting capitalism. But it's just about having that lens to understand all these invisible forms of work that happen every day that we don't value because they're gendered, basically. Exactly. Oh, now that you've mentioned like the way that migrant women's work is like conceptualized, it's also got me thinking about I was reading a on the Housewives in Dialogue Umbrella Group. It was like a this group that brought together different campaigns. So they has like it was it essentially it was set up by the Wages for Housework campaign, but it was just this umbrella um that brought together the English Collective of Prostitutes, the Black Women for Wages for Housework group, um, and a bunch of other groups. And they had these conferences that were on like black and immigrant women reclaiming their rights and speaking out on all of this stuff. And I was just looking back at the dates, so it was say like 1982, 1984, and I was thinking, rah, like I feel like the the conversation around Black womanhood and migrant womanhood in the UK, because this was these were conferences in London for context, I feel so nascent sometimes. Like it feels like we're so at the beginnings of some of those conversations. Like I know there are these rich histories, but like reading about it and seeing it in black and white and like seeing that they were coming together and having these dialogues, as much as it is a bit like, oh, and we're still here, it is also affirming to know that like there is this history of black women and migrant women and women of colour who were demanding those rights for, they've been doing so for for decades. And like, I don't know, I think we need to draw on that history a bit more. And that's one of the other things I find really interesting about how the Wages for Housework campaign has evolved is that it's stringing together all of these different things. And like, how do we then use that history to produce that an intergenerational dialogue because I feel like that's some of the things that we're lacking in our movements at the moment is like knowing what has come before us. I don't know, especially with like I don't know, with TikTok and like for like we're all just like, yeah, we need to start these like fresh things that are not rooted in like these histories. And I've just really enjoyed this like researching for this episode because I feel like okay, we have roots to go back to in a way that I yeah, I don't I don't know that you always get the chance to just like reflect on that and um read about it and yeah, think how does that inform the work that we're doing today? Yeah, and also you're kind of like, wow, like some of this stuff is so controversial even now. And you're like, imagine the bravery of like saying this stuff in the 70s, man. Exactly. Like, woo, like exactly. how like the bravery, the like intellectual prowess to be coming yeah. up with some of these like the campaigns, like the the logics, like reading it, like, and you're just like, yeah, it's it's very like humbling. And as you say, it's really mm. nice to like reroute yourself and be like, women have been doing this work for a really long time when it was so hard, barely had rights. <laughs> so it's like literally you know, like ah. um, yeah, I agree. And I think there's some really amazing legacies that have come from it that we can, as you say, like helps us steer our organizing today, like a lot of this laid really good foundations to have conversations around universal basic income because if you can't pay literally like people for every bit of domestic work that they do maybe a a universal basic income goes some way to kind of start 
supporting that work and recognizing that work. The other thing that um, the global women's strike, which are still active to this day, which are part of wages for housework are doing is this idea around a care income. And so they kind of like talk about it in the sense of it being like there's been enough wealth accumulated to pay for the reproduction of life rather than subsidize the endless growth of destructive and polluting industries. As part of a dynamic change of direction, we demand a guaranteed income for all of all genders and identities, beginning with mothers, indigenous folks and natural farmers who do the work of caring for people every of every age and condition, protecting and regenerating the land and the water from poisonous chemicals, which ruin the soil, the health and those who work on it, the nutritional value of food and the climate, defending human rights in the natural world who are risking their lives and surviving and resisting climate change, which we did not cause following centuries of imperialist plunder and endangering the lives of global south forcing millions to leave the home and all they hold dear and i feel like that's a kind of like more recent iteration of all that stuff you were trying to like mm. really trying to pull and hold together all of the learnings and all these different groups and all that they've contributed to the wages for housework movement and and, and iterate it in like a tangible ask that makes sense in in 2024 or whatever i love that we've come through to present day because yeah it just it does remind it reminds us that like that internationalism that was happening in the 70s in the 80s is like our job to to do today and yeah i guess being on for for folks who are from the uk like being in the belly of the beast like how do we respond to the demand the anti-imperialist demands of our siblings in the global south like and like what is our role in that i think we're coming towards the end though so i do want to ask especially on this one like how has this shapes your understanding of home oh my god it's so interesting isn't it it's the first time we're really talking about the home as a workplace which is the language that they use like this is the language that we're just for housework feminists we're using it's really made me reflect on stuff that I thought I knew but maybe I didn't interrogate deep into my bones about all the things that we do all the time as women because some of it I enjoy, right? Like some of it is like stuff that I really enjoy, but it's like you can still, like there's still work even if you like it. It's still taking up time. It's still taking up energy. It's still, you know, having a nice time in the office or like supporting people like emotionally, like that stuff that I just consider part of the everyday. But actually like this is all essential to the functioning of capitalism and do- doing it doesn't make it a, it's not like an, like an innately bad thing or whatever, but it's just a really interesting lens to start applying to yourself and being like okay what are the ways forward here in like de-gendering this work which I think is really interesting but in terms of the home stuff I don't know like what are you feeling how are you feeling like the home as a workplace I I really love the idea of reconceptualizing what we see as labor because for me that then allows you to reconfigure what you can strike or like what where you can withdraw mm. your labor and I love it as a mode of like you know I come from student organizing it's like a good rent strike <laughs> like you know what I mean so like I'm like okay so what does that mean for like striking outside of the traditional labor union context uh like I think we're seeing more of that like with the wildcat strikes and delivery and stuff like people are being more like nimble and agile with how we strike which I think is necessary in 2024 and like I don't know I'm just I want to I think what I'm taking away from this episode is wanting to reflect more on like 
how could we coordinate strikes of feminized labor of what is kind of posited as women's work but also otherwise like are there next steps because what you were saying about you know looking back in history and thinking they were so intellect their intellectual prowess must have been like they were light years ahead but where is the next forefront of resistance where is the next place where we should be looking to strike to withdraw our labor from perhaps it is this and perhaps it's something else but it's just I I think what this episode has given me is like an impetus to think about that a bit more deeply yeah it's like what would everyone say is crazy now yeah the right thing to be doing yeah exactly (laughs) yeah I completely hear that and I think there's something also just about like when we start we hear so much of them like how do we build alternative economies like what does an alternative economy looks like care has to be within the framing of economy care has to be like the number one thing that we're thinking about so that it doesn't get ignored like we've done already and sometimes I think we're seeing these conversations happen you know and like lots of different forms of work and and labor union union organizing is an amazing engine for that but like we don't have unions for unwaged domestic work and and even if we do it it doesn't have a fraction of the people that are doing it because it's literally all women so it's like how do we represent that in these spaces how do we make sure that we're advocating for it in these spaces that are thinking about building alternative economies and like um there's lots of great people out there doing the work and it's you know lending our energy and power to supporting those people i don't do you think we need an action I don't think we need an action because it's I like we're we... women. We're women and we've been doing we have work. enough actions. Yeah. <laughs> I think is this. <laughs> you know what also I've taken away from this is that like I'm actually quite a lazy person in terms of like keeping the house clean and I'm like, that's resistance. <laughs> I'm on strike. <laughs> I'm on strike against my other housemates. Yeah, no, I don't feel like we need an action. I do feel like it's yeah it's just for me I feel like I've got so much more reading to do I like know, this I is, I'm like oh but when is the time oh, my I know. oh this never-ending reading list is this also labor because this could be like a whole season right each episode could be a whole season that's, the, that's what we're struggling with anyway if you guys have any thoughts of where we should look at what we should read what we should be doing always can email us at shadow light podcast at gmail.com or dm us at shadow.mag on instagram is there anything else that we need to say like comment subscribe uh yeah give us a cheeky rating on the platforms spotify apple podcast all that good stuff and yeah go on strike yeah strike strike (laughs) everyone strike right love y'all bye